We all want to belong. We all crave relevance. We all seek purpose. We fill our lives with more. We chase more money, more friends, more experiences, more stuff. We hope in institutions and sporting icons and technology and fame. Perhaps what we need is less about more and more about less. In seeking one thing, everything else falls into place. We pursue the one who never fails, fixing our eyes on what lasts, putting the first things first. Welcome to Cross Point, brand new series, First Things First, where we're talking about the order of life. And um, have you ever been in a restaurant and you got something different than what you ordered? Like, has there ever been a time where you, you ordered something and then what came to the table was different than what you ordered? You're like, you got, you, you got the pad thai, but you ordered the Mongolian beef. And it was like, you know what? Right continent, wrong country. You know, like the, one of those moments you're like, almost, almost there, but just not what you ordered. Have you ever had those moments in life where what's in front of you is not what you ordered? Where what you experience, what you're, what you're seeing, what's right in front of you is not the thing that you asked for, not the thing that you wanted, not the thing that you expected. You know, in, in life, we don't, get to order, um, we don't get to order things like a dish. But what we experience in life oftentimes has to do with the choices and the values and the decisions that we make. I mean, it's not just like a one-time decision. It's the, it's the thousands of decisions that we make that lead to what we experience. Sociologists tell us that we make on average of 35,000 decisions or more a day. Like, no wonder we're tired. Like, no wonder we just, we just want to take a nap. 35,000. And those decisions, our lives are a sum, are the sum of the decisions that we make. The most spiritual thing we do in life is make decisions. And we make decisions every single day. And while we don't, while we don't get to choose and choose life like a dish at a restaurant, we do get to make choices that, that lead to the lives that we have and we get to make those decisions every single day. And what happens is what, there is one decision when it comes to the order of our lives. There is one decision that we do get to make every single day. And that decision is, are we going to put first things first? The order of our lives, putting the first things first. Now, when you think about, when you think about what we experience in life, oftentimes we get to a place where we look in the mirror and we we look back and we think, man, I am not where I want or I'm not who I want or I'm not doing what I feel called to do. And in those moments, we can't change everything, but we can change that one thing. We can make that one decision to put first things first. And my hope for you and my hope for us is in this series, there'll be time where we could just slow down. We could slow down and we can look at the gauges in life and look at the gauges on our heart and we could see where we're hurried and where we're worried and where we're buried and where we're buried. I said buried because I wanted to rhyme with the other ones. Um, I'm just really good with rhymes like that. And, uh, but we get overwhelmed and we feel stressed out, and we, we just take a moment and go and look, look back at the gauges of our life and see, are we putting first things first? Because what I've found in life is that sometimes God will allow us to experience some, some of the low points in life to help teach us things that we couldn't learn or wouldn't learn any other way. And at least I think that's what happened back in November. When I, was, uh, when I was going to my, my son's eighth grade um, football night, and it was eighth grade football night. We're on the field where they'll present the players and their families, and I left. 
the office with plenty of time to get there, and I, it, was just a, it was a busy time. It was an overwhelming time. It was just a stressed out kind of time. There was a lot going on, and I was trying to cram a lot in, but I left with plenty of time to get there, and I, it was one of those times where I just felt like there were a lot of plates spinning. I had to, I booked a couple of phone calls on the, on the ride, just trying to maximize the time. And I was talking with one guy trying to plan out this uh, person coming in from out of town to teach our staff at one of our staff meetings. And as I'm on the phone with him, I look down and I look at my fuel gauge and my fuel gauge is on E. And then I realize that the little light is on. It's letting me know that I need to get fuel. But it had been such a busy time that I didn't quite know how long that light had been on. Have you ever been there? And I'm having this really important phone conversation, and at the same time, I'm having another conversation with myself because I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm realizing that I don't have, and I push a little button that tells me how many more miles I have until empty, and when I push that button, zero is looking back at me. Now, I'm on 65, and I got plenty of time to make it to my son's eighth grade promotion night, but I, I, I finish up the call, and I'm in stop and go traffic. And I've stopped, and everybody else is going, and the car shuts off. My prayer life, my prayer life began, <laughs> my prayer life really took off at that moment. And I realized that in that moment, I got one more crank, and it's, I'm going to have just enough fuel to get some. And I turn on my blinker, and some kind person from south of town lets me get over. I crank it back up, and I get over, and I realize I've got just enough to coast over into the emergency lane, over to the side, shoulder of the road. And I'm sitting there, and I'm realizing I'm out of gas. This is, this is horrible. It's eighth grade promotion. Did I tell you that? It's eighth grade promotion night. And so I know that I've got to be down. I've got to be at the football field that's 15 minutes away, and I've got... 25 minutes at this point, I'm like, it's okay. We can figure something out. But I'm getting very desperate. And at one moment, I was thinking, man, I hope nobody from the church sees me. Then the next thought is like, I hope somebody from the church sees me. Somebody, somebody give me. I thought about getting in somebody's truck or their bed or their truck. Like, just trying to think, can I, get a, can I hitchhike? How can I get? I cannot be late for this. And so then in those moments of desperation, I start, ideas start coming. I just get real creative, just a MacGyver in life. I start thinking through things. And I'm like, you know what? I can Uber. I can Uber. And so I pull up the app and I look on my phone. I'm starting to sweat because the clock is ticking. I pull up my app and I look it up and I see a little car about three miles away. And I'm like, this is great. I'm going to Uber there. I'm going to get there. I text, I, text my, I text my wife, Ree. I text her and I say, hey, I just need to let you know. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be it's going to be cutting close, but I'm going to get an Uber. I get this. I, and so I'm looking at my phone and I find that Prince in a white Tesla is coming. Wouldn't it be great if Prince and a little red Corvette was coming to pick me like, and so I'm watching this, this little car come, and, and then I realized Prince just got lost because, because Prince has never picked anybody up off the interstate before. So Prince doesn't know how to get to where I am. And so Prince, is, he's going around trying to make his way to the interstate. And it's like the worst video game I've ever played in my life, watching this little car trying to get to where I am. And so finally, Prince gets there, and he gets there. And my map tells me it's going to take 15 minutes to get there. And we are 15 minutes out. And so I get in the back of Prince's white Tesla. And I say, Prince, I need you to get there. And I got a little something special for me if you can get me there. I have resorted to bribing an Uber driver at this moment. I'm like, Prince, we got to get there. 
And so Prince does everything he could in his power. And we are, we are carving our way through traffic. We get off the interstate, and I'm watching the clock, and I'm watching the time, and I'm, and I'm sweating. I'm sweating. My, I'm, it's like shallow breathing. My mouth is dry. Palms are sweaty. I'm like, this is, this is in the back of this car. I mean, I am in full-blown anxiety at this moment because I'm like, I can't miss this moment. And so we're getting there, and I'm monitoring what's going on with Rhea on the phone. And at the same time, I'm in the back of this car. I'm like, Prince, can you go any faster? You know, so we're getting, and we finally, we get super close. And they start calling the names of the kids on the field and their parents. And they're walking out with them in the eighth grade presentation. And we're rounding the, round the turn. And we go, let me show you a picture of eighth grade night at the school. I was a quarter of a mile away. I was in a full-blown sprint at this moment, but I miss eighth grade night. I miss that moment. And it was the walk of shame because all the other parents knew Kevin ran out of gas on the interstate. <laughs> and my, I had a mentor who said, Kevin, you, you, you can't humiliate a truly humble man. I learned that day that I'm not humble because <laughs> I, <was, laughs> I was humiliated. And you know what? Ree was so gracious and Bolton was so gracious. I just wish I had grace for myself the same way they had grace for me. Because in that moment, I'm, I got there and I sat through the rest and going, what in the world? I had every intention to get there, but I was, I was out of gas. So the moral of the story, if you're looking for the moral of the story, the moral of the story is to buy a Tesla. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is this, that we can get so busy doing good things and important things and urgent things and helpful things that we end up missing the best things. We get so busy doing important things and urgent things and helpful things, and we can be so distracted in life that we don't realize that lights are going off on the dashboard and that we need to fill up. I had every intention to be there on time, but I failed to put fuel in the car. I failed to do the first things first. We can have all kinds of intentions in life, but if we get the order wrong, we don't get to where we want to be or where we need to be. And so in this series, I want to talk about the first things first. That phrase, first things first, came from author Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He also wrote a book by that title. He got it from... Uh, I believe it was Peter Drucker who, uh, who wrote a book, Effective Executive. But I believe that they all borrowed the concept from Jesus. Because in one of, one of his first messages in the Sermon on the Mount, and if you're new to church and you're, you're new to the claims of Christ and who Jesus is, I would encourage you to go read that. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's some of the greatest teaching that the world has ever heard. And Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount he gives this teaching, and Dallas Willard tells us that he answers these fundamental questions that all of humanity has been asking, questions like, what is the good life, and what does it mean to be a good person? And in this message, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, about the rule and reign of God, about the power and presence of God, and how we can live with a certain kind of character and in communion, in connection with God, how we can experience life with God and the life that's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is teaching us about this in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he starts talking about like, things like worry and about money and about anxiety, things back then that are completely irrelevant today that we don't struggle with today. Now, Jesus knew the essence of what we would struggle with 
in our lives. And this is where Jesus gives this teaching. And what I want to do is I want to read a section of this, and then we're going to we're going to look at where he says to keep first things first. We'll pick up in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or sow, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus, in this passage, he says, look at the birds, look at the flowers. Thing is, we don't look at the birds, we don't look at the flowers, we look at our watches, we look at our calendars, we look at our apps. We look at all these things, and, and Jesus is saying, look at the things that the Father has made. Man, if we would just take time and pull back and, and look at the birds and look at the flowers, and look at, we look at all the things that we make. We look at the things that humanity has made and we forget that we have a maker too, that we have a creator, that we have one who has made us and fashioned us and formed us in his image and that we have a father who will take care of us. Jesus said, just take a step back and just look at creation and be reminded that you were created and you have a father that just as he cares for the universe, that he will care for you. That he is transcendent, that he is above all, but he is intimate in his love and in his care, and he will care for you. Do, you. do you believe this? Do you trust him? That he'll care for you. Have you ever been worried about something, been anxious about something, and somebody tells you, hey, don't worry about it? How helpful is that? Well, it depends on who it is. If you're taking a test and you're very anxious about that test and the guy that's sitting next to you that slept through the entire semester looks over at you and he says, hey, don't worry about it, bro. You're going to worry about it. But if the teacher comes around the desk and just kneels down and looks at you and says, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. It matters who's saying it. If you're struggling to pay rent and your neighbor says to you, don't worry about it. It's one thing. But if your landlord comes to you and says, hey, don't worry about it, it's another. It matters who's saying, don't worry. And Jesus, the landlord of the universe, and Jesus, the greatest teacher who ever lived, he, looked at, he looks at us and he says, don't worry. He said, your father will take care of you. He, I love this in this, the eternal one. He says, Solomon, in all of his splendor, dressed in all of his splendor, doesn't even compare. And this is just telling you, Jesus, he actually saw Solomon. He's the eternal one. The one hundreds of years before Jesus saying, I have seen there, I've, I've been there. I am eternal. He is sovereign. He's over all of creation. And he looks at you today 
And he says, don't, don't worry. Instead of stepped out of heaven to come to earth to communicate a message to us, don't worry. Why did Jesus say don't worry? Because he knows. He knows our struggle. He knows that we're, we're going to worry. Corey Tim Boom says this. She defines worry this way. She says, worry is a cycle of inefficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear. Worry is a cycle of inefficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear. Corey Tim Boom, as a young girl, her family, she grew up in the Netherlands and her family hid Jews from, from the Nazis. And they were found out and she was taken to a concentration camp where for years she was tortured and experienced just some of those horrific conditions. And listen what she says about worry. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Jesus says don't worry because he knows. He knows what it, what it costs us. I don't struggle with worry. I can do it anytime I want. It's very easy for me to worry. I struggle with it often. Now, I don't call it worry. Sometimes as leaders, we have other names for worry. We call it uh, contingency planning, where we, where we look into the future and we see potential things that could go, could go wrong. I, 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 struggle, I struggle with worry, but I, and one of the reasons that I struggle with it is because um, I, I, love, I love my job. And I think about it oftentimes with planning and strategizing and dreaming can go oftentimes to a place of worry. And if you're in leadership, you can understand how, how with contingency planning, how this can become something that you think about constantly. And contingency planning is okay when it's, when it's with a, when a group of people or with a team and with a whiteboard. And at work, it's another thing when it's 2 a.m. around a table with the family. See, maybe you understand that there are a lot of things that we can think about. What if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if this happens? And I just wrote down a couple of them. Economic uncertainties, P&L, cash flow, employees, their families, the mission, effectiveness, team unity, expansion, cultural issues. I can worry about people in the church, people who are, somebody's got a surgery coming up, somebody who lost a loved one, somebody's going, who lost a job. I can worry about those things. I can worry about um, I can worry about, and that's even like getting to my own family and my own things, my own, my own kids. I, I can worry about things all the time. Some people say, well, why do you pray? Why such an emphasis in prayer? Because if I didn't pray, I'd be like myself sitting in the back of a Tesla stuck in traffic, traffic sitting at zero, still going 65 miles an hour in here. So I, I pray because I'm a desperate man. I'm desperate for God. And desperation is the language of the kingdom. And what I've found in my life is I can either worry about it or I can pray. I can either worry about it or I can pray. And so pray becomes the option. In fact, in scriptures, in, in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, give all of your worries and your cares to God because he cares for you. And so that's the only, prayer is the only, is the option that I have in that moment because I do have cares and because I do have anxieties. And God says, I want you to give those things to me. Listen, if it matters to you, it matters to God. 
And so God's saying, I want you to bring those cares to me. And so I read this verse and I thought, you know what I'm going to do this year? I'm going to create a cares book. I'm going to create a cares book. And when I have some, I have a hard time getting something out of my mind, I'm going to put it in this book to remind me it's in God's hand. And so I just started writing down cares. I just started writing down and it became a prayer book, but it started as a worry book because I'm taking my words and I'm transferring them from my account to God's. Y'all looking at me like y'all have no idea what it, can anybody identify with this? Am I the only one? We'll have a support group later. There'll be me and four of us. But, and so I'm writing these things down, and I've been doing this this year. And I'm, I'm telling you, God, it's been amazing to look back and see what God has done and to see things that he's answered, friends that have had cancer, decisions that have had to be made, struggles and things that I've just continued to process. I put it down, and I go back over in that book. I go back in the, over in that book often, and I'll read back through that book, and I'll mark things off that God has in. And even the things that are unresolved, I'm going back and reminding myself, God has this. I have a Father in heaven who, who knows these cares, and he cares for me. And it's, it's been this powerful, powerful reality in my life. And what I've discovered is the more that I give God my cares, the more carefree I can be. The more that I surrender these cares to God, the more that I can be carefree. And I admit, I have to do this because, well, I missed eighth grade night. I wasn't in the picture. But you know something I've realized about my life is there have been other times where I've been in the picture, but I wasn't there. I was physically present, but I was mentally absent. There have been dinners and meetings and conversations and gatherings and presentations and things where I was physically there, but I was emotionally and mentally absent. And that's what worry does. It takes us out of the moment. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And a full life comes from being fully present. And the surrender to a Father in heaven who cares for us is the only way that we can begin to learn to be fully present. So in this passage, Jesus gives us, he gives us, some, he gives us just some, some truths that we can take and begin to put into practice in our lives to help us be fully present in our lives. And so let me give them to you. And first is, is priority, and second is simplicity. First is priority, and second is simplicity. One thing that we start doing, the second thing that we Stop doing the first. We start putting first things first with priorities. Have you ever noticed, like in that moment, like when, you, when you're worshiping or when you're praising or in that moment, like when you pray, have you ever noticed in a moment of worship that when you're praising God and you're singing that song and you're declaring his praise or you're giving him glory or you're turning your attention, have you noticed in that moment that you experience peace? Have you ever experienced peace? In a moment of praise or in a moment of praise or in a moment of worship, have you ever noticed how you experience peace in here? Do you know why? Because you're aligning your inner reality with the reality of the universe. You're bringing what is true of the universe, you're aligning your life in that way because what is true of the universe is that Jesus is supreme, that he is king, that he is Lord of lords, that he is over all. And what happens is when the one who is first in the universe becomes first in your heart, things fall into order and there's, you experience peace because there is alignment of what's going on in your heart with what is true in the universe. See, Jesus is first in the universe, whether he's first in your, in your life or not. He's going to be first. But when he becomes first in our hearts, 
what we experience in praise and what we experience in worship, what we experience in prayer, what we experience in living under his care in his kingdom where he is king, we receive peace. That's just one expression of what Jesus is saying. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He's saying God's going to take care of you. He's going to give you what you need. He didn't say he's going to give you everything you want. He's going to give you everything you need. And sometimes if God were to give us everything we wanted, it would crush us. He says, I will give you what you need. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, God will give us what we need. And it comes from the order of seeking him first. It's that It's that priority. And it's priorities. When we, when we seek other things first, we forfeit our peace. When we take these other needs, when we seek our needs before God, when we focus on our needs, we forfeit, we forfeit the peace that God wants to give us. And this is what Jesus says. He says, even the pagans, talking about the Gentiles, people who didn't know God, the God of the Bible, didn't know him as their God, they're running after all the other things And they would run after other things. They would run after after idols. There would be idols that they would seek after. These idols were were figures that they would go to to find things like protection and provision, fertility, food. They would go to these idols to seek these things. And Jesus is like, the pagans, the Gentiles, they go after all these other things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the king and all these things will be added. He's like, your father will take care of you. And so this goes back to priorities. How do we prioritize what is first? And so oftentimes when we think of priorities, we think of a list. We're like, well, God first, family second, work third, our friends third, our dating relationships third. I don't know, you could, you've got your list, go on work and hobbies, and we all have a list. And we think about that as priorities. Well, God is first. But I want you to think about this way. That it's not just God first on the list, it's God first in family. And God first in work, and God first in school, and God first in friendships, and God first in dating relationships, and God first in weekend plans, that we put God first in everything, not just that first compartment, not just first on a list, but God runs, he runs through all of the lists. That's what it means to have a God first kind of life. And Jesus is saying, when we seek God first in every area of our lives, then we see God's provision. And some of you have major decisions to make. You have major decisions to make, right? And maybe even right now, you are just, you are knotted up because there's a major decision to make in life. And God wants to lead you and God wants to bless you. It is his heart to bless you. And so we bring those areas of our life under him and we obey God because God God can't bless disobedience. And so we obey God in those areas of our lives and God, he promises he will care for us. We bring those things under his loving care. That's what it means to seek First, the kingdom of God. And so it gets real practical. So let's get real practical. What does it look like? First things first. First things first in your day. First things first in your day. I just want to encourage you just to try it this week. That before you do anything else, spend time. Spend some moments focused on God. Spend some moments in prayer. Maybe it's moments in reading scripture. Maybe it's moments in maybe a worship song. Where you, just, where you attune your life, you align your heart with what is true in the universe because you can't fill up at the end of the day. <laughs> you fill up at the beginning. And so allow yourself to be filled up by God, by his peace, by his presence, 
to bring your life under his care, to be reminded of what's most true. Because you can do other things first. You can do Instagram first. You can do email first. You can do work first. You can do all those things still being in your bed. <laughs> or you can put first things first. I'm just saying, just try it. And someone's like, well, what do we do in that time? I don't even want you to be so focused on getting the mechanics right and what you're doing right. I want us to focus this week on the order. I'm just doing first things first and see what happens in your heart. See what happens through that. So first things first. So spend your first cup of coffee with Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do, what, what you do with your second cup, or your third cup, or your fourth cup. You get past the fourth cup, that's a whole other conversation. But that first cup of coffee with Jesus to start your day with first things first. And then secondly, in priorities, first things first in your decisions. In your decisions. I want to introduce you to a practice this week that when you walk into a room, ask the question, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? When you're having a conversation in the living room with your spouse, with your kids, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? When you have to make a decision at work, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? When we walk into a room, the first things first, and what we're doing in that is anybody ever, you ever lose your key? Anybody ever lose your key? Anybody ever lose your car? Like you don't know where you park. Some of you will walk out. You got no idea where you park, right? It's a reality. One of the ways that we find our car, if we have our key, is we push that little button. It's a panic button. I hit that panic button all the time. But I hit that button to tell me where my car is. What am I? I'm seeking my car. If we want to seek the kingdom, I'm going after the kingdom. If we want to seek the kingdom, it's turning our minds and our hearts to God. What are you doing here? And what do you want me to do? Two simple questions to help us kind of push that button and find where, where the kingdom of God is at hand, is ask the question, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? So we, can, we seek him first in our day, first things first in our day, and first things first in our decisions. It's a couple ways that we put priority in our lives. And the second is simplicity. Stop living more than one day at a time. Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love the honesty of Jesus. He's like, hey, Today's going to be hard. Like, you're going to experience hard things. Like, there are gonna be, there's going to be trouble in the day. Jesus is just real honest. He's like, you don't have enough strength to deal with today's troubles and tomorrow's troubles. So just trust me with tomorrow's troubles and live today. Our, our friends, brothers and sisters in recovery, they've taught us a mantra, one day at a time. One day at a time. What that means is that long-term sobriety has to do with focusing on the moment and being present in the moment, just taking it one day at a time. And listen, we're all in recovery. We're in recovery from control, recovery from fear. We are addicted to certainty. And one day at a time, Jesus said, just take it one day. He said, I'm going to set you free, but we're going to take it one day at a time. And I love Max Okato. He gives this great, he gives this great resolution for today. I'd love to share it with you. In his book, Anxious for Nothing, he closes the book with this resolve. He says, today, I will live today. Yesterday has passed. Tomorrow is not yet. I'm left with today. So today, I will live today. Relive yesterday? No. I will learn from it. I will seek mercy for it. I will take joy in it, but I won't live in it. The sun has set on yesterday, and the sun has yet to rise on tomorrow. Worry about the future? To what gain? It deserves a glance, nothing more. I can't change tomorrow until tomorrow, but today I will live today. 
I will face today's challenges with today's strength. I will dance today's waltz with today's music. I will celebrate today's opportunities with today's hope. Today. Isn't that good? And Jesus said, I just want you to live today. Sometimes when we look in life and we see what's in front of us, it's not what we ordered. And we can't change everything about that in a moment, but in a moment, we can. We can change what's first, and that's the most important thing. And we can put God first in that moment. He says, if you seek me first, I'll take care of all the other things. And he does that through our priorities, and he does that through simplicity. And I want to share um, this month's edition of the Dollar Club with you, because it's a picture of God's provision, and it's a, it's a picture of God at work in the life of a first things first kind of person and a first things first kind of family. And it's a picture of what we can do together when we all give just a little bit more, how God brings that together and does something big. Check this out. Hey everybody, I'm Ashley, and welcome to this month's edition of The Dollar Club, our opportunity to give just $1 and see the amazing things that can happen when we all do good together. Today, we're sitting down with Nikki, who is the Guest Experience Director at the Cross Point Dixon Campus, to talk about the journey she has walked over the last couple of years. Well, Nikki, thank you for sitting down and talking. You've been a part of Cross Point for a while. You have your husband, John. Mm -hmm. How did you and John meet? High school. High school sweethearts. High school sweethearts, 11th grade. And Hayden, who is? 17. And Parker, who is? 11. What does it really mean to be a part of the guest experience team? I want people to feel like what they, what I felt when I came in there the first time, which was welcome, and also feel like um, they're coming home and that they are loved and seen. In 2019, you found yourself being the person that everyone was saying, how can I pray for you? Yeah. Went to the doctor, normal, just checkup, and my doctor was like, I think we need to go get some things checked. And I'm like, okay. All the while, still trying not to freak out about it and he tells me that I have breast cancer. How does your faith interact with that information? It's heavy. Like, I pray for healing for people all the time. It was so hard to pray for myself for healing. I remember telling my kids, and I was like, pray, we have to pray. Like, they, they have to know that that's our first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna pray. Um, and so that's what we did. And then I remember my, my little one praying for me. And so I just learned to accept help. But the commitment that you showed towards other people didn't change. I mean, this sounds cheesy, but I, I live by it as like, how would Jesus have handled this situation? Is it super heavy when someone comes up to me and they're like, hey, I have breast cancer. Can you walk with me on this. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Like, it fires me up because I'm like, I've been there and let's talk through that. But if anything, I just think that it's strengthened my faith because I can't do it on my own. So in 2020, you finished radiation, going to remission. Last summer, mm -hmm. you have your hip checked out. Yeah. And get more hard news. Yes. I was super excited because I was going on a mission trip, got there and I slipped and fell. That was in April, and then June, I fell again. Um, but this time, it was very different when I fell. Went to a, another doctor. She comes in, and she was like, hey, 
you have every reason to be hurting. Your hip is broke. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, she said, but your cancer is also back. Um, I still feel like that was yesterday. And then they tell me it's bone cancer and that makes it stage four. So here we are, 2023, and I've had radiation, oral medication and shots and things, and we're doing good. Nothing's growing, so thank you, Jesus. We're just hanging in there and learning to live again. So thank y'all for being here. I was wondering if we could have a conversation about how our lives have interacted with Nikki and the impact that that's made on us. She cares so deeply for everyone. Every volunteer she has, she's going out of her way to make them food baskets and check on them through the week and having coffees constantly. She could have a horrible day, like getting her shots, radiation, and if she hears that you have a sniffle, mm -hmm. she'll call and say, is there anything I can bring you? That's right. <laughs> like, That's right. Bring me, I have a cold. <laughs> what can I bring you? Yeah. And to see her commitment sometimes to say, Nikki, I think you should go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll be locking up the building. And, oh, wait, hold on, Nikki's still praying over here or someone, <laughs> that her commitment to care for her team and to care for the people who come into the building, even when she was feeling at her worst, it's so clear that her heart and her desire so deeply just wants people to know that they're valued. Getting to observe her in the hardest moments of someone's life and watching the presence of God be on her that's a game changer. And I watched Nikki and I watched the suffering be clarifying to her. Like, you, she don't care about stuff that doesn't matter. You know, like you can't when you have eternity that you're looking at. The day that her doctor called her to say, hey, I'm not gonna give you the results over the phone. I need you to come in. And we were driving back and we were listening to the radio and um, she started raising her hands, singing um, what the enemy meant for evil you'll turn it for good. And that's how the Holy Spirit intervened, not through anything I was gonna say, but through that Nikki in the middle of this diagnosis was gonna minister to me. If I could take her pain away, I would do it in one second. But I wouldn't trade the work that God's done in my heart in this like crazy season. Hey, Nikki. <laughs> I mean, I know you know what's happening, but you know, we have this thing called the Dollar Club where once a month we ask everybody in the church to throw in an extra dollar and pull that money together and find a need that needs to be filled and go fill it. And we love you. And we're so grateful for you. And so, we wanted to come alongside you in the way that we know that we can and to help with medical bills or whatever it is you and your family need, but we have a check for you for $15,000, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, of course. Are you kidding? <laughs> Thank you. We have another surprise for you. There's some people that <laughs> wanted to be here. Oh, I over. <laughs> I hope that you know this, that everything in, in that envelope pales in, in comparison to what you give to the people around you. And there are people you likely don't even know 
who every once in a while remember. I'm so glad Nikki prayed for me. That was the day when things changed. Thank you for the way that you give and the way that you serve and the way that you lead. Nikki, we are inspired by your faith and we love you and we're so grateful for the way we see Jesus stir you. Oftentimes with Dollar Club, it's an opportunity we have to bless people out there, outside the walls and outside the church family. But Jesus gathered the disciples together in his final meal with them. He said, this is how they'll know that you're with me, that you love one another. And he was talking to the disciples in the way that we love one another as followers of Jesus. It's a reflection of his love. And so we just, we love you. And I want to take a moment and I want to, uh, I want to pray um, for us as a church that uh, this just be a first things first kind of day, a reordering kind of day. And if you need prayer for specific things, like you heard in that video, if you need prayer for specific things, we're going to have our prayer teams down front at all of our campuses. We'd be glad to come alongside you and to pray for you personally. I'd love to pray for us as a church. And uh, so I'm going to invite you to stand if you can. And to put your hand over your heart. God, you know the gauges of our hearts. You know where we're tired and where we're weary. You know where we're hurting and where we're... Where we're running low. You know where we're empty. You know where we are and you know where you've called us to be. God, we can't change everything in a moment, but we can change the order. So just in your own way, you just pray a first things first kind of prayer. I invite you to pray a Jesus first. Just tell him that he's first. Ask him to be first. To put the one that's on the throne of the universe on the throne of your heart. Jesus, we thank you that you're an amazing king. There's none like you. We receive, as we put you on the throne, we receive your presence and your power, your peace, your mercy and your love, your grace. We bring all of our cares, all of our problems, all of our concerns, all of our worries, we bring them to you. We cast our cares on you. We thank you that you care for us. Would you give us grace this week for priorities and for simplicity? Would you give us grace to put you first in our day and first in our decisions? Would you give us grace to take it one day at a time? And would you give us eyes to see the way that as we seek you first, how you take care of all the other things. And when you do, we give you glory and honor and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you back next week, week two.